Uh, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, uh, tonight. And um, we, I'm, I'm tempted to spend two weeks here, because honestly, uh, the, this set of Scripture is, there's so much going on here, and um, I feel like parts of it uh, were talked about and used in such a way when I was young that it became like a, a bad news verse instead of a good news verse, and a, kind of a verse about exclusion, and not a, not a verse about invitation. I may talk about that more next week. We may camp here, I'm not sure. Because I chose not to go that direction, and now I'm questioning myself. But um, it, I think this is intended, uh, at the very least, to be uh, a simplifying text. Now, uh, now that's, that's a little bit hard, because in the Gospel of John, as you know, John doesn't believe in saying anything uh, in five words that you could say in 50. So, uh, like, you know, the words tend to, and trying to, if you ever tried to translate from Greek, that was what we had to do in Greek class, was translate the Gospel of John. And it's just a hot mess. And so it's, it's hard to figure things out. And this will feel a little convoluted as we're reading it, but I think you'll hear one note getting struck over and over again. And that's meant to be a simplifying note. And that's kind of the note I want to try and hit uh, tonight. And we may revisit again next week if, if it feels like a good idea. But now let's read the text and then, and then we can talk about it. Again, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, it says this. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may also be. There you may be also. And you know the, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. Thanks be to God. I was trying this week to think about a single thing in my life that has been made better by becoming more complicated than is absolutely necessary. And I'm sure such a thing exists. Maybe you will come up with one in your mind, but I couldn't come up with one. And the truth is, if I did figure out that there was one, I'd probably be too dumb to understand it anyways. But however, however it works for me, the older I get, the less patience I have for things that are overcomplicated without any real cause, right? Uh, and usually when I run into one of those situations, I feel like we complicate things to avoid them in some way, right? Um, I could think of a, a lot of examples in our culture we have right now. Um, when's the last time that you tried to actually understand what was going on with medical insurance? 
I would need a PhD in 40 hours a week to wrap my mind around what I owe, when I owe it, and why I owe it. Uh, on the few times we've had where we've really had to wrestle with an insurance company over what we were being charged for, I only ended up more confused every time I tried to have a clarifying conversation with someone. Um, I couldn't hate anymore the way we are forced to handle medical care in our culture when it comes to money, right? None of it makes sense, and it's more complicated than it should be, and I'm not normally a conspiracy theorist, but it doesn't seem like it's an accident. It feels like it's complicated so that maybe some people whose one job is supposed to be paying for our medical stuff may not have to do it. Taxes, we just got finished with taxes. How are our taxes a good idea, the way we do it? They are comically overcomplicated, right? Seems easy enough. I owe the government money, I should get a bill, and then I could pay it. That, you know, that's how they do it in other countries, right? They tell you how much you owe them, you write them a check, and it's the end of the day, it's done. That seems like a much better plan than making me, a guy who hasn't had a math class since 1991, try to figure out what exactly I owe the government because I can't do it. I have to hire my friend from college who gives me a discounted price to figure it out for me. Because I haven't had a math class since 1991, and in that math class, when I got answers wrong, which I did frequently, it was not a felony. <laughs> Things are more just complicated than they need to be. This week, you know, of course, during the week I work at the Time Belt Foundation, we work with people trying to help work their way around tax codes and that kind of thing to be able to give away more money to charity and that kind of thing. This was an actual sentence I said this week, and then after I said it, I kind of wanted to go wash my own mouth out with soap. We were having a conversation about how to help someone give away more money more effectively, and I said this sentence. You know, the important thing to remember is that after 70, 70 and a half years old, you can only use your IRA's RMD as a QCD if you're not sending it to a DAF. That's a real thing. What I just said, that's actually, that's really good uh, charitable giving tax advice free of charge that I'm giving you right now if you can make any sense of it whatsoever. I find the same tendency with theology and religious practice. I have like over 100 hours postgraduate hours like studying theology in one way or another. And what I realize is that most of it is just a little bit overcomplicated. Right? Sometimes the best way to avoid just doing what Jesus taught is to talk it to death. Especially if you can use increasingly complicated terminologies and theories about it. It makes people feel smarter who have studied it, it confuses everyone else, and it keeps us from having to actually do anything about it. And this is what I love about today's text and the things that Jesus says in it. Now the disciples don't look real smart in this text. They're asking what seems like pretty dumb questions. That They still find a way to be confused by it. But Jesus strikes one note over and over again. Jesus is trying to make a very simple point here. Believe in me. Look at me. Follow me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you know me, then you know God. My words are the Father's words. The overcomplicated theological term for this is called having a high Christology but you can go ahead and forget that because it doesn't matter. This entire exchange with Jesus, the disciples are getting hit with one thing over and over and over again that they're always missing. Jesus wants them to know the simple truth, and that simple truth is that all they really need is to fix their eyes on him. He is their point of orientation. 
Everything else falls in line behind that. There is no separation between the Son and the Father. Put simply, Jesus is the answer to the question, what is God like? In the epistles, we have it uh, framed up a different way. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this, He is the image of an invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that all might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through, his, through the blood on his cross. There is no part of God or God's work that we must discover outside of what we see in the person of Jesus. Brian Zahn said it like this, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. So to show my theological cards here, this is a fundamental cornerstone of my theology and how I interpret Scripture and the Bible. Now, many of us were brought up with the idea that Jesus was just one of God's many personalities. As showing some of, God, Jesus was showing some of God, but certainly not God's fullness, to use the language of Colossians here, right? I was basically led to believe that Jesus was the nice one. God the Father was the justice one, the, wielding, the, the justice-wielding enforcer that we would do well not to cross. And for us in the church I grew up in, the Holy Spirit just kind of wasn't talked about. It was that artsy, weird cousin that no one knew what to do with, and we were kind of scared of it, and we were definitely scared of any denominations that talked about it too much. We recognized, him as part of the, recognized the Spirit as part of the Trinity, but didn't really talk about it. That is not what Christ is saying here. That is not, in my opinion, good Christian theology, right? We believe that Jesus is the answer to the question of who and what and how God is in this world. That yes, Jesus is fully human. Jesus might be the fullest expression of what humanity could and should look like, what humanity was created to be like. But Jesus isn't just the most fully human person to ever walk this earth. He is simultaneously the fullness of of God and God's character in human form. He is the incarnate God. Jesus is the way a full human is to live in this world. Jesus is what is most true about the nature of everything. Jesus is what real life looks like. The way, the truth, the life. There is no distance between God and Jesus. To use the first confession, Christ is Lord. It is that simple and profoundly difficult at the same time. This is what we are choosing to fix ourselves on when we claim to be followers of Christ. It means we, it means we, live to, uh, we aim to live in the way he lived, to follow in his way. It is now our calling, our mission to keep our eyes fixed on this way, this truth, and this life, and to live it accordingly. And I know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me is one of those sentences in Scripture that has come to feel a little bit uh, exclusionary and difficult.
for a lot of us, and we may talk more about that this week. I don't think it's intended uh, to be that here. I think it's intended to be clarified, to let us know that there is no other way to God apart from the path of love and grace and truth. You don't get to do violence. You don't get to do hatred and call it God and say it's just another path to the same place. This is part of why I am not a huge fan of the term Christian and the way it is wielded most of the time. It only makes sense to me when it's used as an adjective to describe something that, I don't know, looks like Jesus. I know that's a crazy thought. In fact, you'll rarely ever hear me use the phrase, I am a Christian, like a noun. Remember when I got a phone call from an 866 number? No. If that was the Lord and I just hung up, I'm going to feel really, <laughs> really bad. I just put the way, the truth, and the life straight to voicemail. It might have been a bad decision on my part. <laughs> Back on task. You rarely hear me use the phrase, I am a Christian, like as a noun, because I prefer Christian as an adjective. I'm a human being who is, on my best days, trying to figure out how to follow in the way of Christ, often poorly, which feels like something different than saying, I am a Christian. Do I sometimes demonstrate Christ-like or Christian love or charity or forgiveness? I hope so. But often I do not. Many times the way I act is anything but Christian. I am a lot of things. I am God's beloved. I am forgiven by God. I am called to a purpose in this world by God. I am loved without condition. I am the recipient of God's grace every day. I am a lot of things. And I hope I am becoming a more Christian person as time goes. I hope I am walking more and more closely to the way that Christ lived. And I love that term, the way. In fact, the very first followers of Christ, no one called themselves Christians. They called themselves people of the way. Because that was what was important. Who cares if someone or something has adopted the label of Christian? You can slap a Jesus fish on anything. It doesn't make it like Christ. Only to the extent that someone or something looks or acts like Jesus can it take the adjective Christian and have it mean anything at all. And let's be honest, much of what we label as Christian is anything but. That's why I don't really like getting into arguments about whether or not a celebrity or a politician or the president is quote-unquote a Christian. I don't care if they say they are or say they aren't. It doesn't matter what label they adopt. It doesn't matter what noun they take on for themselves. We can know if they are people of the way by the way that they live. You know a tree by its fruits. We are people of the way. We are people who are called to walk and talk and love and live as Christ did because when we see Christ, we see the fullness of God in this world. And why does that matter? What is the big deal with whether or not we actually follow the way? I think Jesus addresses that as well. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Again, you will know a tree by its fruits. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. When we walk like Christ walked, we walk in the way of Christ, when we actually embody living on the way, then we will do greater things than Christ did. And this is one of those needle scratches across the record moments 
in Scripture. And for those of you too young to know what a record is, uh, it means you pause for a moment here. Because that seems like a blasphemous thing to say. We are going to do something greater than Jesus? How come we aren't in trouble for even saying that? Because I believe in a very real sense, it's true. Now certainly there are certain activities of Christ that we cannot do. His work on the cross, etc. Let alone surpass Christ in doing. But the followers of the way have far exceeded the works of Christ in most ways. Jesus, remember, was one human being who had ministry for two or three years in one small place around a few people for a couple of short years. I think Jesus gathered disciples when he started for a reason, to multiply the love distributed out in the world. Jesus miraculously fed thousands with a little bit that he gathered from the crowd. Those who are followers of the way of Christ are currently still feeding millions every day in much the same way. They are taking from what others in the community have, and they will share it to those who are in need, giving it away freely. They are feeding more people than Jesus did. Jesus healed some people with physical needs of one variety or another. Do you know how many millions of people have found healing in medical missions and clinics and hospitals established by those following Christ in our history? It's incalculable. Jesus educated those who would listen to him teach. And those following the way of Christ have established schools and universities all over the globe ever since. In a very real way, people living like Christ have done greater things. And that was always the point. And that's important because as Christ says here, even if you can't believe in him, which that verse 11, maybe we might get back to that next week. Even if you can't believe in him, you can believe in those works. There is a lot of justifiable criticism for that which holds itself out as Christian in this world while promoting violence and anger and division and inequity. And we should call that what it is. We should be the first in line to raise our hand and say no. But there is no argument against the fact that this world is a far kinder and more just place because of those who have truly followed Christ's way here and now. In many ways, it's been a worse place by those who've claimed Jesus and not followed him, but it's a much better place because of those who have actually followed Sincere followers of the way have been in the midst of every positive movement of peace and justice and love in our world. Christ's followers, by design, have done greater things. All because sometimes, just sometimes, we actually remember the simple truth. We actually remember who and what this is really all about. After all the conversations, after all the theological ink is spilled, after all the arguments we have over carpet color and denominations and everything else that doesn't matter, sometimes we actually fix our eyes on the person of Jesus and the life and love that he left in this world. We accept the good news that this, this is what God is like and what full humanity is like and it always has been. We accept the fact that there is no need to add anything to Christ in order to find truth and life or the way to live it. It's that simple. Jesus is God's fullness and humanity's fullness all at once. 
And when we can just focus our attention on that, when we just hear that one note that he's striking over and over again here, great things can happen. Let's pray. God, may we hear these words. May we hear this note that you play over and over again in this text. The simple, clarifying truth that the life that you led, the way that you walked, answers the question of who God is and what God wants for us. God, we are thankful for discussions to have, for theological arguments to wrestle with. We are thankful that we are called to love you with our mind and our, and our hearts and our strength all at once. But God, may we never forget what this is really all about. That we are called to follow. To see the truth and the life that comes in the way that you lived. To see the goodness and the purity of a life poured out for others. Lord, may we be people of the way. May we stop just saying your name and start walking as you walked. So that greater things may be done in this world. And that even when someone cannot believe in your name or does not know how to believe in you, they can believe in what they've seen done in your name. Lord, we do love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.